Big spenders. Awesome. Our sermon text this morning is from the book of Psalm, chapter 34. If you're looking in the Pew Bible, that's on page 463. Psalm 34 is a favorite of mine. It's one I often quote in other sermons. So I'm excited to expound on it today. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? The psalmist writes of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. As you take your seats, let me pray that we would see God's word, hear his word to us this morning. Heavenly Father, we approach you as those whether we recognize it or not, who are in need of deliverance. Those who are in need of your spirit who comforts, who is near to the crushed and brokenhearted. We pray that that spirit would soften us this morning, our hearts, to be humble, to hear you, Father. That we would be prepared to cry out, cry out the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our Deliverer. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning again. Thank you for allowing me to be here with you, to worship alongside of you this morning. Our passage is this morning a psalm. And a good thing for us to remember when we approach the psalms is that they are indeed songs. The psalms are 
songs. The famous modern-day pirate Johnny Depp has said a lot of silly things, but one that has stuck with me is this. Music touches us where words alone cannot. Is that not true? Songs give us words and melody fused together to touch our hearts in ways that often words alone cannot. Songs, you could say psalms, truly are a way that our heart cries out. And the psalm we just read, Psalm 34, demonstrates to us a particular cry of the heart this morning. A cry for deliverance. A cry for deliverance. The theme of deliverance is one that we see over and over throughout the Bible. Maybe you remember the opening of the greatest DreamWorks movie of all time, The Prince of Egypt. The animated sand rushes by, you see the skyline of the Egyptian pyramids in the background, and the Israelite people are slaving away under Pharaoh. And in the intro, it's a musical, they're singing, mud, sand, water, straw, as they slave away. And the great refrain that swells up in that song, the people cry out, deliver us, deliver us to the promised land. While Hollywood certainly has a tendency to miss the big biblical themes and motifs, they got it right there. God is one who cares about his people. The God of the Bible is a God of deliverance. And the story of Moses and the deliverance from Pharaoh is brought up again and again throughout God's word. It's brought up by both the Jewish people and God himself. Am I not the God of Israel, the God who delivered you from the hand of Pharaoh? We see echoes of this cry again and again, echoes of the Exodus event. And we see that here today. Like so many songs, uh, there's a story that rests behind this song, this psalm. Uh, have you ever had a song that you love? And you, you, when you discover uh, the story that came behind it, the story that inspired the author, it adds incredible complexity, new meaning to it. I often will invent, oh, maybe the songwriter of this song that I love was thinking about this. Maybe this was going on in their life. The beauty of the modern era is you can go on the internet and often check and see. And almost without fail, I am wrong every time about whatever story I invented. But when you actually learn the story behind the song, it does illuminate the meaning of it. So we have, blessings to us, one of those kinds of songs today where there is a story that rests behind it. Maybe if you saw the heading there, it says, of David, when he changed his behavior, before Abimelech. It's a title for Achish, the king of Gath. And that event happens in 1 Samuel 21. So let me give you a little hint here, a little clue. We're going to look at 1 Samuel 21. It might be helpful to flip over, get a finger in that side of your Bible. We are going to look this morning, not just at a song, but also the story behind this song. A story and a song together about deliverance. Deliverance today may seem like a foreign idea. Uh, when is the last time that you pleaded to be delivered? Not necessarily the kind of thing that we think about often. Uh, nevertheless, deliverance is absolutely the sort of thing which you need. Why? 
How? From what? I'm pretty self-sustaining, aren't I? I can, I can take care of myself, can't I? Uh, often trials rise in my impulses. I can dig myself out of this. Those are natural responses. Those are the kinds of responses that we're going to see today in this story. And while that cry for deliverance may be foreign to us, the things from which we must be delivered certainly are not. Trials. How am I going to provide for my family with this job? Will this job last? What if I lose it? How do I know that my kids will walk towards God and not away from him? Are there not so many anxieties in this life? Am I going to be able to keep up this appearance of having everything together? Uh, The worries inspired in our heart through health concerns and fears. Uh, Death. Death. Do I really know what is coming? And what unites each and every one of those things which we need to be delivered from is this. Those are things which we rightfully fear. And that fear can be tormenting. That fear can be crippling. And yet so often, my response, my impulse is, I can handle it. I can take care of it. I can take care of myself. I can find a way. Uh, Through this story and this psalm, God is going to teach us about the reality that we cannot handle our greatest fears. We must be delivered from them. If you're a note taker, if there's one thing you're going to write down today, it's this. You cannot answer your greatest fears. You must be delivered from them. We're going to explore that idea today by looking at four points. Point one, the path to fear. Point two, the result of fear. Point three, the one who delivers. And then lastly, the way that he delivers. Four points, gasp, oh no, is he even a Presbyterian? The heresy. Trust me, God can deliver you from the trial of four points, too. We'll see that. Before we dive in, just a touch of context, since we're jumping into the middle of a story, we said our psalmist, the author of this song, is David. Who is David? If you found 1 Samuel 21, look at verse 11 real quick. We get this little song about David. The servants of Achish said, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Who is David? David was a mighty man. He was the kind of person who the people of Israel wrote songs and dances for. David has struck down his tens of thousands. The people of Israel loved David. He was their hero. And yet the tragedy is there's another person mentioned in that brief little song, right? Well, the servants of Achish may have said David was the king of the land. They know that he is not actually the sitting king, merely the anointed king. David may be anointed to the throne by the Lord, but Saul is the one who is actually sitting on the throne. And what do you think, how do you think Saul feels about his servant singing Yes, Saul is cool, but David, David, now there is our hero. That is exactly the song that Saul hears just a couple chapters earlier. And as you might imagine, this inspires rage, frustration, 
Uh, Saul is incredibly upset about this reality in his kingdom. And so Saul drives David out of the land of Israel. He seeks to hunt him down and to kill him. So David here, at the beginning of this chapter, he is on the run. He is beginning his exile. This is his trial. Can the Lord deliver him? Let's look at our first point, the path of fear. The path of fear. We said the context of this situation is David is on the run. He's beginning his exile. And so naturally, David launches into self-defense mode. He sees the need to take care of himself, and that's understandable. He's a man on the run, and there's two things he recognizes he is going to need. First, he needs food. And then second, he needs a means of defense. Food and defense. 1 Samuel 21, verse 1. So David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone, and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, Uh, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you. The path of fear, especially for David, involves an attempt to be self-reliant, providing for oneself, defending oneself. So David flees and he runs into the priest. The priest immediately knows something is up. The text says the priest comes trembling and asks, Why are you alone? Ahimelech knows something up. It's written on David's face. And the reason David has come is because he needs to gather these supplies. Now, rather than ask for them up front, rather than be up front and honest, what does David do? He lies. David's response in the midst of fear, in the midst of this trial, is not to reveal truth, but rather to craft his own narrative, which he believes will get what he needs quickest, what he needs in the moment. How does that resonate with how we may respond to need in moments of fear? How easy is it to decide the story I can craft, I can put together, uh, that's going to get me what I need just a little bit faster. So easy, especially in crisis, to decide to skip over the details that might put someone against you, to manipulate the truth, to make it sure that things happen how I want. So David crafts this lie. Oh, the king, he has sent me on a secret mission. At least it's kind of a crafty lie, I guess. You know, secret mission. Can ask too many questions about it. And David follows up asking first for the food. Verse 3. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, whatever is here. The priest responds to David, I have no common bread on hand. But there is holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. David answers the priest back. Truly women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it's an ordinary journey. How much more will they be holy today? So the priest gave him the holy bread. For there is no bread but the bread of the presence which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. The first problem that David runs into is that there is only one kind of bread. How often do you lie, create your own idea, and then there's immediately a roadblock? What do you got to do? Keep digging deeper, you know? Bad idea. The priest says there is, there is bread, but it's only a certain kind of bread. This holy bread that is set apart for the Lord on the altar of God. 
It is the bread of the presence. It's this bread that represents God's very presence. And so, of course, there are conditions for taking this bread. David does not care about those conditions. He pushes through them. He continues to lie. He keeps digging. Yep, of course we meet the requirements. Just give me the bread. And so God's bread is given to David. This roadblock, it's not going to stop David. Nothing's going to stop him. I need to take care of me. I need to provide for myself. I can provide for myself. David is going into the wild, though. He needs something to defend himself with, too. So he asks for a sword, verse 8. Have you not a spear or sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. The priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine whom you struck down in the valley of Allah, Behold, it is here, wrapped in the cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. David says, there is none like that. Give it to me. Do you have a sword? The priest says, oh, we have a sword. That's right. The sword of the Goliath giant, the one whom you slew, David. David says, oh, I know that sword. I know that sword. And that's right. I killed that giant. Uh, What's behind the scenes here? Uh, If you go back to the story of David and Goliath, who killed the giant? What was David's impression, his mentality back in chapter 17 when he faces the giant? In that moment, this is what David says. Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Who slew that giant? God did. But how do we remember things in tense moments? Moments when we're trying to prove to ourselves, I can handle this. I can take care of this. I'm strong enough. I've done this before. I just need to toughen up. I just need to dig down deep. So David takes the Lord's bread, and he takes Goliath's sword, and he departs. So we see the path that David takes. I can provide for myself. I can defend myself. This is David trying to say over and over, I can deliver myself. But can he? Well, what are the results? Point number two. The result of fear. Look with me at verse 10. David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the Abimelech, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And David took these words to heart, and he was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them. He pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate. And he let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see, this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? Shall this fellow come into my house? So David has filled himself with this self-confidence and he takes off to Gath. And the text reminds us that Gath is the very hometown of Goliath, the giant. Now, I don't know about you, but 
I don't think it is the smartest move to try and find solace, to try and find refuge in the hometown of the giant who you just bragged about killing. Probably, probably not, you know, smart move number one. Maybe David thinks, you know, he could go under the radar. They won't recognize him. Well, uh, the problem with that is David is dragging with him the very sword of Goliath. If anyone is going to recognize him, if, any, if anything is going to call out the attention here, you know, we've made some mistakes, David. And the people of the city, they recognize him immediately. The servants of the king see David walking by and they go, ah, is this not David, the king of the land? And they even know the song. They even know the song that they sing of David just a chap- couple chapters earlier. The author keys in on a critical phrase there. Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands. David, his tens of thousands. This is a direct quote. A direct quote from a couple chapters earlier. This is exactly the song that Saul hears. The words that Saul hears that drive him into a rage to exile David, to try and kill David. These are the very words which set Saul off. And so, of course, this is a trigger. How often is it that we hear exactly the right words to set us off, to strike fear in our hearts, the right words, the right phrases, to trigger our doubts and our pain? You know that feeling when that button is pressed just right by someone, even if they didn't mean it. David experiences that. Verse 12, David hears the words and he takes them to heart and was very much afraid of the king of Gath. The phrase which the author uses here took these words to heart. This cuts David. Uh, This slices beneath his veneer of self-confidence. Like a scalpel, it fillets open David's heart. He is laid bare and he is broken. So the great hero of Israel, this mighty man, he is not just worried. He is, the text says, very afraid. And as a human being, do you not feel for him? Is David's response not a human response? In spite of all of his actions and efforts to prove, I can handle this. He can't. How much can we relate to that? Uh, This is the first time in the book of Samuel that David, the mighty man, is ever described as fearful. He is stricken with fear. And what are the results of that fear? He's driven to insanity. Fear changes us. It makes us into a different person, doesn't it? David puts on this act as a disguise for the king of Gath. But what we know and see is that this condition is a very accurate representation of the fear that he is experiencing. The pain, the anxiety going on within David. This is like method acting. David does feel this as he wails about the city. He's banging on the great wooden city gates. Uh, He's banging on them until they are marked up. His spit is running down his beard. This is a picture of of shame and sorrow. How did David, this mighty man of God, end up here 
in shame and sorrow. The king of Gath, the Abimelech, says, I have plenty of madmen. Get rid of this guy. And in his lowest of lows, David is cast out. David's cast out. That's the result of David's fear. Can David actually deliver himself from his trials, from his fears? No. But that is the story. So what about the song? The one who delivers. Point three, the one who delivers. This is the end of the narrative, and it is so easy to just look back on it and see sorrow, shame, despair, David in the lowest of lows. But when David reflects back on this event in the song here, that's not how David sees the story. That's not what David sees. As David writes Psalm 34, he reflects on what this story is about and who this story is about. We need to see it with our own eyes. So flip back to Psalm 34. Flip back over there. Verse 1, as David recounts this event, what does he say? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. David's inclination, looking back on this story, is not a cry of despair. When looking back, he is immediately praising God. Let us praise God's name. Okay, David, you were cast out. You were the picture of shame and sorrow, spit running down your beard. You were broken, banging on the gates, crying. What did we miss, David? What did we miss here? Verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. In the darkest of moments, in the cry of despair, the Lord hears David. The Lord hears him. Hear that. The Lord is my deliverer. Let's trace out what that deliverance looks like. David tells us, verse 7, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fears him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. David, who desperately grabs the sword because he needs to defend himself. He didn't need that sword. All it did was drive him into further trouble. Who protected David when he walks into danger? He should have been killed in Gath. But providentially, the Lord moves. Who protects David? God does. Keep going, verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord, they lack no good thing. Remember David coming to the priest that he might take the Lord's bread? Who fed David? Who feeds the young lions? Was it not the Lord's bread sitting on the altar? That's why David then says in verse 13, Keep your tongue from evil. And your lips from speaking deceit. You don't need to lie. You don't need to fabricate a story in your favor. 
Uh, You can trust that the Lord will supply your need. Look at verse 17. Read this one with me. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears, and he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord hears your cry, believer. Cry out to him, and he will hear you. He is the one who comes to fight off the wicked, to defend us, to deliver us. He is near to you when you are brokenhearted, when your spirit is crushed. He delivers. He delivers. He's the one who delivers. Okay, point four. The way that he delivers. How is it that the Lord delivers? David describes this. He starts verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Friends, if you thought the Lord's goodness couldn't get any sweeter, here it does. Verse 20, he keeps all his bones, not one is broken. For David, this line is a callback. Remember, we talked about Moses and the prince of Egypt. uh, Deliver us. When David writes this song, he's thinking back to Exodus 12, to that story of the Jews in the first Passover as God delivers them from Egypt. When the Jews are at the first Passover, they're instructed as they prepare the centerpiece, the sacrificial lamb, they're instructed, don't break a single bone. For us, though, this line is not just a callback. Now, we know David is providentially prophesying because while the Passover lamb represented deliverance, there is a lamb who actually delivers. You see, what David is saying is that King Saul, King Achish, even King David, these are not the kings who this song is actually about. There is another king who John 19 says fulfilled this prophecy, that none of his bones were broken. This is not a king who in jealousy seeks to slay his own people like Saul, not a king who casts out the poor and destitute like Achish. This is not a king who, like a madman, bangs on the great wooden gates of the door. No, this is a king whose hands are opened up and nailed to a wooden cross. This is a king who, like a lamb, is led to the slaughter. Why? To deliver us. To deliver you. This king is Jesus. David leads us. To our King, Jesus. Maybe this talk of deliverance in light of fear is a little new to you, a little odd. We all recognize a great, common, uniting fear amongst mankind. Death. Whatever follows after death. We deserve what comes to us in death. Are we not filled with the sins seen in these lesser kings. I have acted in hate and jealousy towards others like Saul. 
I have lied to my brothers like David. I have rejected and despised the poor and needy like Achish. Have you too? We know this is wrong, that this is sin. Should we not earn judgment for it then? The Lord's standards is perfection, and we fall far short. And yet he answers the fear of death and judgment by himself delivering us from it. Jesus, God's own son, is sent to pay the price for sin, to pay the very price for those sins which we commit, to redeem us. To redeem us. What does redemption mean? He pays for the very judgment that we bring upon ourselves. Look at verse 22. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. I am not the righteous one mentioned here, but Jesus is. Jesus is our righteous, true king. So what does this mean for us, this story today? As David's story goes on, we know that he is delivered. We see that he is delivered and ultimately he becomes the king who sits on the throne of Israel. That he writes this psalm rejoicing. Christian, the Lord has sacrificed so much to deliver you. Can you not trust that he will deliver you from all of your fears? What did Jesus say? Look at the birds. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Will he not feed you? Are you not of much more value than they? Trust, Christian, that the Lord is one who is mighty to deliver you from your fears. You cannot deliver yourself. It will only leave you crushed. But the Lord is near to the crushed. He is near to the brokenhearted, and he is strong to deliver you. So as trials, anxieties, these fears approach, as, as the deep fears about the job, your kids, your family, your very life itself, as they arise, do not be the person who says, I can handle this. I can take care of myself. No, turn to the Lord. Even use this psalm. A cry out to him in dependence. The psalm's given to the psalm use the words given to us in this psalm. Lord, deliver me. If you turn to him, if you pray to him, if you trust in him, he will hear you. He will be near to you. He will ultimately be the one who delivers you. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, grant us the grace to turn to you in our fears. And to see, like David, that in spite of our best efforts, we cannot control these things. But you and your Son do provide deliverance to us. May your Spirit help us to find rest in you as you are near to the broken. Lord, may we be the kind of people who cry out to you a cry of deliverance. We ask for this deliverance in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. Amen. We now have the opportunity to
uh, turn and having received God's word through our ears to receive his word here at the table.